0: be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 13. Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were living in the Roman provinces uh, throughout Asia Minor. They were scattered uh, throughout that area. And uh, this is uh, a piece of what he had to say to them. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority Or to governors as those those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God honor the emperor.
1: All right, well, thank you, Tim. Appreciate you reading that. And thank you, Tim Berggren, for for leading communion for us. Um, Well, I just want to welcome you again today. If you're new with us today, you might not know that Pastor Ryan is out of town. He's our no, our, he's our lead pastor, and he would normally be preaching, um, especially at the end of a series like we're in today. This is the the last uh, message in a series that we've been doing for the last ten or so weeks, um, called "Taboo," talking about the things that we don't talk about. We've um, covered everything from tattoos to piercings to uh, marriage, and today we're going to cover something that. Uh, I think is probably one of the most controversial things right now in our country, which is uh, politics and government. So uh, we're going to dive in here in a couple of minutes, but I want to talk to you a little bit as we're wrapping up this series, why we chose to do it. Uh, the, it's, it has been a topical series, um, and we've addressed each one of those topics, and it has generated a lot of really good discussion, both on a Sunday morning, uh, maybe as you're talking with friends throughout the week, um, and also in our life groups, we've we've spent a lot of time discussing the issues and following the Sunday morning topics. But I want to be clear: um, we didn't do the series to generate just generate discussion. Um, the desire, uh, our desire, as we go through a series like this, is that we would be a people that learn to think biblically. And what I mean by that is that our our thinking, our actions. Um, our hearts are shaped by Scripture and what God has to say and not necessarily what is popular in our current culture. And uh, something in that that's, that's really the foundation of that, that we're saying about Scripture, is that Scripture is not just relevant for people who lived 2,000 years ago, but that God's Word is relevant for us today, and it can be applied and used today um, for all peoples, in all times, in all cultures, that's that's God's word, and that's why we call it God's living word, is because it is relevant for everybody. Uh, so, as we're wrapping up this series in taboos, our, uh, in taboo, our hope is that um, you're able to come back time and time again to what God's word has to say about the issue that you're you're coming up against in the world, and that you have the tools that you need to be able to uh, find what God has to say about it in his word. So um, the question that you want to be asking yourself, and that I, I hope I'm asking myself as I am ca- encountering different situations in the world, is what does God have to say about this? So here we are in the last Sunday of Taboo, and we're discussing um, that controversial topic of politics and government. So um, let's be honest. You've probably had some sort of argument in your lifetime regarding politics, government, or maybe a specific politician, maybe the role of the government. Um, this is something that people tend to get very heated over. Um, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't gotten an argument about that, um, maybe you have some some sort of thought on the most recent presidential election. election. Um, I haven't met anyone yet that doesn't have some sort of thought or opinion on the most recent presidential election. Um, I know that I see all sorts of uh, crazy comments regarding politicians on social media. Um, It seems like politics have this unique way of polarizing and dividing people. Wouldn't you agree? So a few of the things that I've seen or maybe just heard over the last several presidential elections, are this, and hopefully hopefully I'm not going to offend anybody here, but probably will happen sometime in this message, but one is, Trump is as bad as Hitler. Okay, I've seen that. Um, Obama is Hitler. In fact, he may be the Antichrist. I've also seen Bush is Hitler. And as I started thinking about... um, just all the way back to when I began to pay a little bit of attention to politics and elections and, uh, and civil government, I realized that anybody who has any kind of strong opinion on anything that's a politician and they're running for office, there's somebody out there that's going to equate them with some long-dead, brutal dictator, okay? That just happens. I don't know why, but it, it, it tends to happen because it's, uh, this is uh, something that's very heated, and it gets, gets your blood pressure rising, doesn't it? Um, but Scripture provides us with a unique view of government. And, uh, and it's whether we think the government is good or bad. And I think it's going to challenge us this morning. Uh, the Bi- Bible provides us with uh, several different examples of good and bad government. And usually those good or bad governments are headed by a king that's either good or bad. Uh, so today we're going to look specifically at Paul's view on government, but before we do that, I want to provide us with a little bit of background on uh, on Romans. And so before we dive into reading Romans 13, uh, and actually we're going to spend some time in two different passages, both the one that Tim Morgan just read and also Romans 13. But before we dive in, I want to give you some background and just some insight into a little bit of what uh, the early church was dealing with in regards to government. Uh, and so, uh, the letter to the church in Rome, the one that we're going to read in Romans 13, was written in uh, a time when Rome was about to be led by one of the most infamous emperors in history. Uh, his name was Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Okay, hopefully, hopefully I got that right. But uh, uh, those of you that have taken Latin, please don't. Please don't come to me afterwards because I probably won't try that again. But uh, you probably know him by this name, Nero, emperor of Rome. He was a guy that, uh, through manip- manipulation, treachery, murder, deceit, uh, eventually worked his way to the throne. And that was with the help of his, of his mom. His mom was a part of that, too. Um, there were some weird adoption things that had to happen f- for him to be able to ascend to the throne. And he actually killed the two guys that were in front of him uh, in line for the throne so that he could ascend to the throne. Um, he also per- uh, he, uh, became known for being very good at mixing poisons to kill off his enemies. So, uh, you know, if he, uh, if, if he was at a dinner party and there was a, a politician or somebody that maybe he disagreed with, um, maybe looked at him the wrong way, um, he would figure out a way to mix up a poison and kill him off. And there's a couple accounts where uh, there was a birthday party um, and somebody would eat birth like uh, the food. And they would drop dead immediately. the poison was so strong, and he would say, "Ah, they had a seizure, and they 're dying from the seizure, so take them out and that was it that 's the last they heard of the person and Everyone knew what was happening, right But he set the precedent for, following emper- uh, for for the following emperors. They began using poison. It was one of those things that you hear about poison being used by an emperor. Well, Nero started that. Um, he also participated in all sorts of very strange sexual perversions. He was just a very Strange guy when you begin researching um, his relationships with people, um, it, he just was corrupt completely when it came uh, when it came to marriage and any kind of relationships that he had. Um, also, he was a talented musician, uh, and it was a bad thing to be anyone other than Nero and be a talented musician because if there was a music competition and somehow he hadn't paid the judges off enough to, to enable, enable him to win, um, and you won, you were going to die, okay? So anything that got in his way of glorifying himself, he would, he would, uh, he would remove it, including people. Um, so the other thing about Nero is when you hear about intense persecution of the early church, Nero, a lot of times what you're hearing about is Nero and his persecution of the church. And we're talking about some horrible stuff like throwing groups of Christians to the lions, crucifying them upside down, and once they died, um, raising up their bodies and lighting them on fire at night to, to light the darkness at night. Um, he persecuted them harshly. Um, and it was to cover up, the, the crazy thing is, it was to cover up something that he had, what most historians think, he had perpetrated. Um, there were some problems and, uh, and he, blamed it, he blamed it on the Christians, and they became his scapegoat, and so they were intensely persecuted. I want to share with you uh, one historian. Hopefully, you're getting an idea of this guy. Uh, one historian says it this way, and by the way, this is a primary source. This guy who wrote this lived during the time of Nero. He was a Roman historian. He says, hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the person's Commonly, known, are ...commonly called Christians who are hated for their enormities. Accordingly, first three were seized who confessed they were Christians. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted... ...not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. And in their deaths, they were also made the subjects of sport... ...for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts... ...and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set, to, set fire to... ...and when day declined, burned to serve for nocturnal nights... Nero, this is, this is what he's doing, Nero offered his own gardens for that spectacle and exhibited a Circassian game, indiscriminately mingling with the common people in the habit of a charioteer, or else standing in his chariot, whence a feeling of compassion arose toward the sufferers, though guilty and deserving to be made examples of by capital punishment, because they seemed not to be cut off for the public good, but victims to the ferocity of one man. So that was Tacitus, A Roman historian. One other guy says this. He was one of the most brutal dictators of all time. Again, a historian living near the time of of Nero. And uh, so, are you getting an idea of this guy? (laughs) He he was pretty bad. (laughs) So, how do we as Christians, how do Christians respond to an evil tyrant like this? As followers of Jesus, how do we respond to it? Uh, Well, Tim read us this. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. And then skipping down to verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Now this, this was written very close to the time of Nero. And he was beginning to persecute Christians and treat them poorly. And yet, he says, honor the emperor. So, uh, Peter, we're thinking about about how Christians should respond to this. First, Peter, he makes it clear that it isn't just some human institution that we are to remain subject to, but it's every human institution. Let me hop back to verse, uh, verse 13. Submit to every human authority. When you look at the word there in the original language, by the way, there's no room for there's no wiggle room. It's all every human authority. Um, it means all human authorities. Second, uh, he provides the reason for being subject to every human institution. It's for the Lord's sake. On there, it says because of the Lord, but your translation might say submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake, uh, and. Uh, and what he's saying is he's appealing to the, the progress of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. That he died a sinner's death. That he was buried in a tomb and he rose three days later. And as we trust in his life, death, and resurrection. And we repent of our sins. We're forgiven and we're saved. The, for the progress of that message, we are to submit to every human authority. We're not to make problems for the human institutions. Peter's also saying, uh, uh, another way you can, you can view this as well, which I think both are true, um, for the sake of the Lord could also mean following in the footsteps of Jesus. Because as you, as you remember, Jesus stood before a Roman authority. And how did he respond? Let's take a look. Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And then he says, uh, and Then he says, um, Actually, um, so Pi- yeah, Pilate said to him, Third, well, the third point actually. Sorry, my mind got a little bit off there, but the third point is uh, Peter, knowing by this point about Nero and the persecution that was happening in the church, makes a crazy statement. So I, I want to go back to that. Um, the end of that uh, section in Peter says this, honor the emperor, doesn't it? That's kind of a, that's, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but that word honor, um, it means to esteem or give value to. Um, and, uh, and not only is he saying this uh, about just some government authority, now he's taking it a step further. And he's saying, not just be subject to some governing authority, be subject to and honor this guy, the emperor, who's corrupt and everybody knows that um, he's this brutal dictator and everyone's afraid of him, but honor him while at the same time fearing God. So um, this, med- this message of being subject to a government authority is not something that just uh that just peter covers paul covers it as well and hopefully you're starting to get a mindset of the government that the early church had to deal with um uh paul uh paul talks about it in this way um being subject to the governing authorities as well as jesus has something to say about it both in word and in action how we are to regard those in authority over us um We're going to head over to Romans 13, and we'll hear from Paul from a bit. So if you have your Bible or phone, you can open to Romans 13. We're going to read that together. Um, I'll have it on screen. But keep in mind what we just read from Peter was written during the time of Nero. Um, What we're going to read from Paul echoes what Jesus had to say about 20 years previously. And uh, what Paul says um, foreshadows what what Peter had to say. So let's go ahead and read it. Uh, This is Romans 13. We're going to start in verse 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone: taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So that is what Paul has to say. Uh, before we uh, before we go through it together, I just want to. Uh, we've been through. We've talked about Romans a little bit before in the past. We haven't gone through the whole thing together as a church. Our plan is to do that sometime in the near future. But uh, but I just want to give you a quick. Uh, Layout of the book Um, the letter to the church in rome um, Starts with the first 11 chapters and paul is providing the foundation of the christian faith what you should believe that we're um, We are not saved by works, but we're saved by faith um, By grace Um, It's jesus christ and his work. It's not our work and uh, we're no longer condemned because of what Christ Jesus has done. We're no longer considered sinners, and we're no longer headed for hell, but we are going to um, be headed for heaven, and he has made us a new creation. And that's the foundation that he provides in chapters 1 through 11. And in chapters 12 through 16, uh, he talks about how we should now live as Christians in the world, and um, how we interact with Um, fellow believers, how we interact with unbelievers, and how we seek to serve and live for God. And so that's a quick breakdown of of Romans. And so we're in chapter 13. As you notice, we're one chapter in. Um, Paul has just taken a moment to um, talk about uh, how we're to behave towards our enemies. So he's He's speaking about that, and he says, you're not to repay evil for evil, but you repay evil with good. And then he makes this statement, which we just read a moment ago, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist um, are instituted by God. So this word submit, or be subject to, I know that when I read through, I thought, what does that mean? And so as you dig in, and you study that a little bit, it, it Submit or subject, be subject to has this connotation of making yourself subordinate to another person, or in this case, a governing authority. So much so that when they ask you to do something, you do it. Um, That uh, doesn't say submit to the governing authorities once you're in agreement with them, does it? It says submit to the governing authorities, and it is a command submit to the governing authorities. Um, this is stated by Paul. There is a command, submit to every authority. Um, and then Paul gives the reason that we're to do that. And I think in this day and age uh, where politics is so polarizing and our, um, we, we uh, my blood pressure gets up when I start talking politics. I don't know about yours. I can feel it. You know, I can feel feel my face getting red about it. Um, but, uh, but he gives the reason, and I think it would give us pause in this day and age. But what, he sa- what does he say? Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. That's the reason that we are submit to submit to governing authorities. He goes on to say this, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So not only are we to submit, subordinate ourselves to, but uh, that includes uh, not resisting the government uh, or the governing authorities that God has appointed. Now, I don't know about you, but I hit that verse, and I start having a ton of questions come to my mind. I I think myself, what is resisting, Paul? What are you talking about when you say... um, resisting. And so it's a good question to ask, right? It's something that we need to wrestle with and try to come to some sort of conclusion. Um, I think it's ambiguous. And whenever we approach a passage that's ambiguous, we go, okay, how can we figure out what God's desire is for us So we look at other instances in Scripture um, of that particular command or um, that instance in order to hopefully clarify. And we do do find other instances of uh, people dealing with this dilemma in Scripture of wanting to serve and honor God and yet at the same time struggling to uh, uh, submit to the governing authorities. Um, This particular question is very important because I think it's linked to another question. And the question is this, what do I do if the governing authorities are doing things that are contrary to God's desires and wishes? That's a good question to ask. And that is also extremely important because it's linked to this question. To what degree do I submit to the governing authorities, especially when it runs contrary to God's desire for me? So, um... Let's go ahead and take a look at a couple examples. One's from the Old Testament, one's from the New Testament. The first one I want to share with you, and by the way, there's a lot more than just these examples. We don't have time to cover them all. Um, This subject could take weeks and weeks, right? Um, But we're going to try to hopefully give you a good overview. Um, One situation in the Old Testament is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you familiar with those guys? If you were here two years ago, we went through Daniel, and Daniel is the story of the Israelites who were conquered. Uh, they were conquered by, uh, by Babylon, and they were taken from their homeland and, uh, and placed in Babylon, um, forced to practice pagan customs, um, eat pagan food, and, uh, and the king began placing requirements on the Israelites that ran contrary to their faith in God. Uh, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king, uh, the king had made this giant golden idol of himself. Huge, okay? And uh, you'll remember uh, Pastor Ryan, when he preached on that passage, he showed us the field where they think that happened, and it was huge. And he had, had people come um, by the thousands and bow down before this golden idol. He commanded that, that that was to happen. But of course, that's contrary to God's command to not bow down to any foreign idol, And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were followers of the one true God, they refused. And the king didn't like that very much. And so he sentenced them to death in the fiery furnace. And uh, here's what they have to say before they're going to be thrown in the furnace. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. And then they say this. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, and we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So uh, pretty clear. In the, end, uh, in the end, they did survive the punishment. But again, dealing with that tension. Another example that I want to provide for you is uh, in Acts, in the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts. Um, to give you a little bit of context, uh, the apostles. This is after Jesus has already ascended. Uh, the Holy Spirit has indwelt the fo- uh, indwelt his followers, and the apostles are going about Jerusalem, and they are telling everybody, uh, including in the temple, they're telling everybody about what they've seen and what they've heard um, that Jesus uh, he died and he rose again, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, um, and we're saved. And so they're they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and um, and uh, the, the, priests, the priests didn't like it very much because there is the small detail that the, the, the priests had been partially or mostly responsible for the death of Jesus. And so they're, they're going around saying, oh, yeah, but it's not something you can avoid, right? You're saying the guy died, and then he rose again. Well, how did he die? Well, there were people, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. Who was, oh, really, who were the people? Well, a lot of them were the priests, okay? So the priests were, they, they were not happy about the apostles going around and spreading this news. And, uh, and so they called, they had the apostles brought before the Sanhedrin, which uh, the Sanhedrin is, uh, is uh, the full council of Israelites. And uh, here's what they have to say to them. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Here's what Peter says. We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. Um, And then they said this. (laughs) God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. After that, they, uh, they are released, but not before they flog them. Um, so they didn't kill them. Um, they, they talked amongst themselves about what they were going to do with these guys who just blatantly disobeyed them. Uh, and and there was a previous incident with another guy that they had dealt with, and it caused some problems for them, and so um, it appears they made the decision not to have them killed um, or pursue that or treat them as criminals, other than they flogged them and then sent them on their way, and you know what they continued to do? They continued to preach the gospel, even after being threatened. They went around and shared what they had seen and what they had heard. So what can we learn from these? examples. Um, again, there's a lot more examples in Scripture, um, but I want to say, I want to say this one thing. I want to I make an assertion, because I think this is where we can, as believers, can draw the line. There is a difference between the government permitting an evil act and the government placing a requirement on you to do something that runs contrary to what God commands. And it seems, time and time again throughout Scripture, where there is resistance that the government or the governing authorities or the king or whoever it was has placed a requirement on somebody to do something that runs contrary to his commands and they refuse and they say no that's different than permitting an evil act and allowing that to proliferate in, uh, in a society um, now we're going to talk a little bit more about that it doesn't mean that you don't speak out against evil acts of the government. So um, it seems that it's all right to speak against those things that are evil. You're probably aware of many things with which you disagree, which are evil acts in the sight of God that are taking place in our society and in other uh, other societies around the world. Um, But until they require you to do something that directly runs contrary to uh, God's command we need to keep this in mind, this verse. The one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, It's what Paul has to say about the matter. And then he goes on to say this. He's reiterating what he said earlier. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Uh, <laughs> so, ultimately, Paul is appealing to God's authority. And you know, the thing that I struggle with is, is God really in control? Does he, is he really able to work out all things together for the good of those who love God? Guess what? Remember how I said that Paul, uh, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, was laying the foundation for the Christian faith? He was making the argument for how we should view the world and how, uh, how we should think about our faith and think about the world. And now he's applying that in part in chapter 13. Uh, chapter 8 of Romans, he says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If we believe that statement is true, if we believe that God is able to do that, work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, then even the government, whether it does evil or good in our eyes, is ultimately used by God somehow, both for our good and for his glory. We have, to trust. we have to trust his word because that's what it says. And it all comes down to trusting him and knowing that he's in control and knowing that he has said in his scripture that civil governments are his servants and are instituted by him. The problem is um, my flesh gets in the way and I get angry about things, right? Uh, and then to make matters worse, you knew we were going to get down to this, right? Taxes. You knew it was coming. All right, so um, we read it. Um, it seems that, uh, that Paul has some specific inge- agenda in mind. Um, he always does when he's writing. He's addressing things. Um, there's a reason why he writes these letters. And, uh, and it seems like in this section that he specifically calls out paying taxes. This is something that was settled 20 years earlier by Jesus, wasn't it? I'm not going to go there, but you can, you can look it up. Jesus makes it clear that you're to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were specifically asking, do you pay, do you, should we pay taxes? So uh, apparently it's come up in the Roman church. Hmm, you know, do we, do we pay taxes? Do we not? Do, how do we handle this? And so Paul is making it clear once again that, yes, you pay taxes and the foundational motivation behind paying taxes for a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ is the fact that civil government is an institution that's set up by God. That's why um we're supporting that government that that god is using for his for his purposes let's read it again just to remind ourselves for this reason you pay taxes that's flowing out of the verse that talks about how i mean over and over again that god has instituted government for this reason you pay taxes since the authorities are god's servants continually attending to these tasks Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who you owe taxes, tolls to those who you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. I drove, uh, we drove through um, New York State and Pennsylvania a few weeks ago. There's, a, there's tolls everywhere. I don't think that's what it's talking about, but there are tolls everywhere. And we owe tolls. Did we owe tolls? Um, but, but, put in place, um, they're God's servants, um, and they're attending to the tasks to which God has, has um, designed them to attend to. Um, a few things that I want to share with you guys um, as we are closing um, for you to think on. Um, first one is, uh, I want to reiterate something that was spoken by the prophet Daniel. and I think it is very relevant when we're, when we're talking about um, God and the role of government in our lives. Um, Daniel says this, May the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. Did you hear that? He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. God is the one that ordains civil governments, whether good or bad. First, in his infinite wisdom... I was going to say for some reason, but I really, it, it comes down to trusting God. In his infinite wisdom, God has chosen to use civil government to carry out some of his purposes in the world. And he uses individuals too. He also uses the church. But civil government is another, is another sphere that he uses to carry out his purposes in the world. Um, secondly, I want to remind us what Jesus said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's one of the biggest reasons that this is such a relevant topic for us because Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He has authority even over the most powerful king in this world. And he is our Lord, both our Lord and our savior. And uh, ultimately our, our allegiance, because of this idea, our allegiance doesn't, uh, doesn't belong to any earthly king, but it belongs to Jesus who is, um, who is Lord and Savior of all. And because his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, so also our citizenship is not of this earth. So take a look at what Paul has to say in the letter to Philippians. By the way, um, I want to share with you our next series. We're going to be doing uh, a summer in Philippi. So we're, uh, we're going to be going through Philippians from, um, from chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 4. That's the whole letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great series. Pastor Ryan has it outlined and he's doing the bulk of the teaching. I think I'll get it preached once. Um, Dan Russell, who's training to plan a church, is gonna be able to preach once or twice and then um, Josh Carpenter, um, some of you may know that name, but he and his family are moving up from Northern California to um, train to plant churches and, uh, and get some ministry experience. He'll be preaching as well. So it's going to be a great summer where we're going to get to um, go through Philippians. Um, but this is what Paul says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Uh, That word subject is there again, isn't it? The one who has all authority is able to subject everything to himself. Um, I think one of the reasons that we sometimes get confused and look to government, this is just an ending comment, we get confused and we look to government to make all things right is because we're impatient. There is going to be a day when everything's made right, where justice does prevail, and there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, sin is gone, there is no more poverty that will be gone, and peace rules the nations. I think we get impatient, because we, we do long for that day. Everybody longs for that day. But the problem is this. We get impatient, and we think that somehow, by our own ingenuity, we can somehow bring that about through human institution. But scripture is clear, and you, uh, Tim read it um, during our communion. In Revelation, that's brought about by God. That's not bo- brought about by us. That day is brought about by God himself and his son Jesus Christ. Um, it's part of God's plan for us to look forward to that day and long for that day um, when we will be exalted. We'll have a glorious body just like his glorious body And he does it by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He has the authority to do that. So I'm going to cruise through this briefly, and then we're going to pray together. What do we do with all of it? Show respect to government officials and pray for them. I want to encourage you the next time that you feel like a politician does something that is foolish, don't go to social media first. Okay? Pray for them. Okay? Okay? Part of that is your witness as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and so deal with the situation wisely and start with prayer. Uh, the other one is, is taxes. I mean, it's not, it's, I don't think it's any more straightforward than what he put. Pay your taxes. Um, engage in the political system if you are gifted and passionate to do so. So I'm not saying don't engage um, definitely engage, especially if, it, if God is guiding you in that direction, and use wisdom. I think we need more believers that engage in the political system and have a biblical worldview. Um, that's very important. But as they do so, they need to remember, and we need to remember, that the church is the one tasked with taking the light of the gospel to the world. Sometimes that means starting by meeting a physical need. But most importantly, it means sharing Christ to meet the spiritual need. This means you. This means me. Okay? We are the church, right? And so um, God does not call government first and foremost to do that. I think many times the church does fail in that task, um, and the government tries to step in and fill some of that, but um, we're best able to meet the need, both physical but then spiritual, because we we, we are able to help meet a need with the message of the gospel that lasts longer than just the physical, right? It's spiritual, and so that's our calling as a church. And then also... Um, it is okay to speak out against evil in our society that is permitted by the government. And lastly, peaceably resist requirements placed on you personally by the government that violate God's commands specified in scripture. And here's the deal. There might be consequences to that. But you need to be ready to accept that because we don't trust in our comfort in this lifetime. And sometimes persecution does come. But guess what? We look forward to the day when we'll see our savior face to face. The worst thing that they could do is kill you. Seriously, but guess what if you're a follower of jesus christ you trust in him his life death and resurrection That's not so bad (laughs) Because you'll see god face to face and you'll be um, you'll be liberated from Um the the sorrow and the pain of this life and you'll be face to face with god and so Um I think with that we should go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and bow our heads (sighs) Lord we uh This is such a difficult topic um, because there's a lot more implications than just what we talked about today as we seek to apply these principles to our lives. um, It's not easy. And the reality is we need your wisdom, wisdom that's beyond us, that's supernatural wisdom um, and how to deal with the issues um, in our society. Lord, we know for certain that people need Jesus Christ in their lives. Uh, and that government doesn't change people's hearts. We can't force that to happen, that you change people's hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that we be a a people that are faithful to you because you are faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you. Um, I pray that we would be a people that... uh, regardless of how crazy our government is, regardless of the chaos that we see, regardless of the, the comments made by politicians or people who aren't politicians um, about our government and the political process that are, are, are angering and, and make us frustrated, Lord, I pray, I pray that because of our trust in you that we would be the steady and calm voice because, once again, you're faithful. Help us with that. Change our perspective and change our mindset. We love you. We love your son, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.